like these last couple of however long purgatory has been uh since covid <laughs> like i i really miss hugs because there's yeah. something about a hug pretty much regardless of who it is there's something about a a, a a hug that makes it all go away like for that like 15 to 20 seconds or so just the world stops and everything's it okay grounds my God, you. i miss that feeling yeah it grounds you in a present moment um before mm. we started worrying about germs and stuff like my roommate nigel and i have been friends since we were in our like 23 years old something like that so it's been 17 18 years wow and um <clears throat> he's not super emotional guy like i am and he's not you know he and um his wife aren't super PDA or anything like that. You know, they have three kids, and then he's got three kids from previous marriage. Like, they... Clearly, there is proof in the world that they physically interact with each other, is all I'm saying. But, right, right. you know, they don't choose to, to, to display it in front of everyone else. Right. Um, however, I live here, so sometimes I've gone upstairs and Nigel's, like cooking or something like that and i just go up behind him and i romantically spoon him and i put my head on his shoulder and i'm just like i don't, I don't know where you're going but can you call in sick <laughs> you know and uh, i swear that's... to god for me it's this like <sighs> like it's just this nice thing um that's and... the kind of stuff you and i would do if there weren't <laughs> an, an ocean bit between us and there wasn't an apocalypse currently going on yeah yeah, like I, 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 you know, I, I, he knows, like, we've been friends for so long. He's just like, hey, buddy, how you doing? Pat, 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 <laughs> pat, pat. I'm like, oh, I'm better now. And then, you know, whatever, I go on about my day. But, yeah, uh, yeah the physical, man, it's, uh, you know, a friend of mine was telling me about how she went to the doctor. And the doctor sort of was lifting up her arm to test the rotation. And she started crying because uh, it had been so long oh. since she'd felt someone touch her that it That's was so precious. It was like this. She felt it in her whole body, that sensation mm -hmm. of those fingertips rippling through her, her body. It's so tough, right? Like, especially I'm the Ken Robinson did the first TED talk that was recorded and put online and it's still mm -hmm. the greatest tech talk that or ted talk that um i've ever seen uh about education and the value of it i'll put it in the show notes people should go check it out but um he described professors in a way in that that i felt so seen by he said mm -hmm. uh he said you know we all have bodies right well, uh, why is dancing treated with a different um, level of importance in schools than reading or uh, education? You know, um, uh, we all express ourselves in different ways, and there's there's this focus on language. But he described professors as people who look at their bodies as transports for their heads. Okay. You know, it's a, it's a way of getting their heads to meetings. That's what their yeah. bodies are for. And I was like. Uh -huh. That was my 20s and 30s was, yeah, like divorcing myself from the physical. I mean, I have trauma and other things that I'm working on and, and, and working out, but um, 
you know, 40 now and, and the ramifications of some of the ways you don't take care of yourself in your 20s and 30s start to catch up. You know, I've had skin cancer twice and uh, weight, weight does not come off easily anymore. And, <laughs> you know, all of this. And so you're like, okay, I've been, I've started streaming uh, my workouts on Twitch just because oh, nice. it's fun and it's a thing to do. But I'm like working out and doing this whole thing. I'm like, oh, I've got a body. You know, uh, and and there's a whole aspect to being human that comes with touch and endorphins and chemistry and, and all of that that I think Certainly. in my 20s and 30s I was anxious to ignore. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Where do you fall in that spectrum, do you feel? Like, I mean, what do you mean in terms exactly? of like... <laughs> I was going to say, the needs of the flesh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? Um, I mean, if the term a, fits. I mean, I'm a very like affectionate person. I'm, I'm a big hugger. I will hug anyone, boy, girl, straight, gay, whatever. Like, just hug me. Just hug me. Let's just hug. Um and yeah, it's I I don't remember the last time I actually felt another human being touch me. Actually, there was um oh god, <laughs> a couple of months ago I spent a night in a hospital and I think a nurse in order to put put a cannula in my my arm touched my arm. That was probably the last time I, I was touched by by a human being when they were jabbing me with a freaking needle. Um, <laughs> The last person I probably hugged was my uh, brother when I got dropped off at the airport when I was le leaving Sydney last year. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's dawn daunting, man. Yeah. It's, it's it's um it's a lot. It's something that you take for granted and don't really think much about until, I mean, you don't know what you got until till it's gone, right? Um, it's suddenly like every. Your life becomes a long distance relationship with everyone. Yeah. You know, I've been in, I'm uh, in a long distance relationship and it's nothing, it, like, it's wonderful. It's, uh, it's just to fire up the, the laptop and to just spend hours talking with each other. But I was going to say it's nothing but desire. It's many other things but desire, but it is this constant yearning for physical contact not necessarily yeah. sexual but just to to put an arm around each other or to to have run you know i like people running their hands through my no hair the, you know uh, rubbing my scalp or whatever it may be but i you know i uh in my early 30s did a long distance thing for a year and it's just like yearning and like a, it's like a hunger yeah and it seems like the um the uh uh, we're all like it's, we're all every, every relationship is a long distance relationship right now because yeah. of unless you know have you been tested okay I've been tested alright <laughs> so uh, as long as you don't see anyone else we can get together on Tuesday as we stand six feet apart or whatever it yeah. is you know it's a um, thing it's a thing a couple of months back, I hung out with with a friend, and we just um, this was literally because neither of us had had seen a friend for, for for ages, and this was when things weren't as bad as they are now, I guess. And 
we we just went for like a walk and um um we we were following guidelines that at the uh, time the government rec rec recommendation was no more than two two people outside together one one time but we we maintained distance from from each other and like um that there, there was a moment when we were saying good 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 goodbye when we greeted each other too then was like oh should we hug oh no wait we can't <laughs> yeah because so, like you have that yeah. on, on automatic thing where you like you either hug or shake shake hand, hands or something but you can't you can just go oh hi ha and, uh, all right well goodbye yeah yeah um but yeah um i've been single now for quite a long time and i guess um that sort of intimate affection is something that I, I miss very much but that's not just like covid that's just in, in yeah general. of course um there's something very um i don't know there's something about that that goes beyond um just a hug just like having your your person if you know what i mean your your bow your 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 other half and being with them and the connecting and the uh, and you know what, exactly what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, There's something very be beautiful about that, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, even just physical contact among friends, yeah, like completely. I, I but I, I know what you're saying. It's, mm. it's funny, like, um, because I experienced trauma at a sort of youngish age. Like, if someone puts a hand on my shoulder, I startle. Right, you yeah. know, and so there's like there's there's been a a I think for me there was some confusion growing up as to whether or not that was something that I was invited and interesting or something I wanted versus something that I uh, that felt damaging or frightening or whatever. Uh, mm. But as an adult now, I'm like, oh no, it's it's I yeah, I want want right. want just so I can under, let me um, see you coming is all <laughs> and be right, someone yeah. that I love and trust. I mean, I've I've never experienced the trauma that has led to those kind kinds of issues for for me, so so I can't relate to it. But funnily enough, I, I know quite a lot of people who uh, have, so I can un understand it in in terms of what pe people have have explained to to me, and I I get it, you know, like kind of like having someone touch touch you if you don't expect it or if you don't particularly want them to uh, touch yeah. you. it's it's icky. It's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. It's not fun. Yeah, I, it's one of the reasons why I hate. Uh... I think startling people is the meanest, worst possible thing to do on Earth. By the way, hello everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the nerds. I'm Ian. Hi, friends. I am Jack. Hi, Jack. Hi. Don't say that too loud out in an airport. Hello, Jack. <laughs> I actually have a friend who was joked for years. Dude, if we ever uh, go, go, go on a flight to, together or travel to, together... I'm, I'm gonna be with you at the airport terminal and I'm like hi jack and i'm like dude they literally have signs that, that say security is not a joke yeah if you make a, a joke about a bomb or something like that you get the ugly stare down like yes i'm hiding a bomb in my toothpaste and even like sort a, of sarcastic I, I do not like to cause a fuss in pu public either i'm very much uh yeah don't stir in the pot yeah. type, type of person, at least in public, anyway. <laughs> I'm not particularly confrontational. Um, I don't. I I don't want air, airport security to take me way to a room and do whatever they do behind those doors. Ask questions and be very kind. We assume. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yes. That's exactly. Yeah. Yes. Give Give me a cup of tea. 
<laughs> Speaking of, I'm drinking um, English breakfast. I so one of my things for sobriety. I'm, I'm drinking water from my hydro flask. I, Not a sponsor, but uh, hydro flask. Give me. A call. Yeah, yeah. We will sell out. <laughs> We're looking to sell out. Um, one of the things I've been doing with sobriety, so this is month four of not drinking. Well is, done, man. Thanks. Is, uh, one thing I noticed is the sleep is a lot better. You remember how I slept terribly? I mean, part of that was yeah. starting the channel, or rather starting to do the channel full-time. But um, part, part of that was also uh, drunk, drunkenly calling me at like 3 a.m. your time. I and... do miss that. <laughs> I actually <laughs> too, missed kinda. that. It, uh, yeah, it was so endearing and adorable. Uh, and then every single time you would like wake wake up the next day, and like, dude, I'm so sorry. Well, I didn't. Uh, yeah, it, being an alcoholic is kind of a mixed bag, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, you said it, not not me. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, one thing I've been learning to do is like I feel like. The thing I'm terrible at is unwinding. I cannot... That's why I drank as much as I did, right. was um, celebration, turn the mind off, shut the brain down, relax. I'm terrible yeah. at that. And those, it, those are the things you used to um, talk to me about, yeah, that um, that's why you you would drink, is especially the shutting off the mind thing. So yeah. Anything that, that sort of helped you be uh, quiet. It's the churn. It's the constant spin of voices and stuff like that. And so... Mm -hmm. But one thing I've been trying to do is to learn to love tea because um, it, it I'm trying to make it like, you know, tea is soothing. In the mornings, I wish to be tense. Uh, but in the evenings, you know, have, have a, a sort of an unwind. It's kind of working. I, uh, growing up, I dad used to shovel tea down our throats when we were sick, so I always associated it with being sick. But I've been doing it every evening now. So I kind of like, it's starting to become a thing where I'm like, oh, it's time to relax. As you know, I'm a big tea uh, drinker. I, I, I you used do to be the really English into tea, coffee. Right? Huh? You do the English tea, right? Milk in the tea? Yeah, yeah. Milk and, um, well, I used to do sugar, but since I've um, got uh, type 2 di diabetes, I now use a sugar substitute called xylitol. Um kind of expensive it's uh, dried from corn or you can get it from birch trees or something and it's like i paid 20 dollars for a kilo of it which is i mean here you can get a kilo of sugar for like three four four dollars so it's quite a bit expensive that sounds like one of those things that has a warning on the box that says will cause diarrhea in excess of course many no, things cause diarrhea in excess, actually so. good at first i started um Using um, a substitute, a substitute uh, the, the brand name is Splendor, but it's uh, sucrose. And then I did some re research on it that uh, freaked me out. Um, apparently, at high te temperatures, it breaks down into a carcinogenic uh, <laughs> uh, substance of some kind that I can't remember the name of. But I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not going to use that then. Did it um, say how high a temperature? No, but it just um, was this like oh, I th I three hundred degrees. Did or... it actually, it was more like baking with it and stuff. But but still, pouring like boiling hot water on it, I just no. I, it, right. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um. I use xy xylitol and uh, light milk, and yeah, I can I can do black tea. Sure, that's fine. Um, or tea without milk milk in it, but um. Coffee, no way. Um, well, I love coffee. 
yeah, black coffee is yeah, not not my thing. But um, it's kind of like alcohol for me. It was a fun coffee is a functional <laughs> beverage. I'm not sitting yeah. there uh, savoring the flavor. I love the smell of coffee more than I love the flavor. But I'm waiting yeah. for the effects. I kind of um, I just accidentally stopped coffee. I didn't mean to. I just did. Um, and I just feel a lot better for it. Um, cause like I have issues with ang- anxiety and whatnot and, and, and coffee can really, really, yeah. re- really affect it. It's almost like playing a uh, Russian roulette. I can, I, I could drink a coffee and have a great time or it could turn into a really bad, bad time. Um, I think the main reasons I stopped is I used to get, um, ca- cafe coffee and like I'd go and go into a cafe and buy coffee and bring mm-hmm. it home and that's like five bucks a pop, man. And, and <laughs> I don't know, especially with COVID going on, I don't want to um, go out much. And, yeah, yeah. I, I'm still bad with the delivery food, but because of the pandemic, I've gotten better about uh, not going to Starbucks and stuff like that. I actually haven't um, gotten any sort of uh, takeout since my di- diagnosis. I fresh fruit and vegetables all day. I, I ate a lot of fish and chicken and... But what? my God, do I want a burger? I want a burger so bad. <laughs> well, let's move. I'm not going to do it. Let's move on from food then. Uh, don't want to tempt you. Yeah, but the uh, uh, Jack. Yes. Ian. Today we were not going to do a podcast, right? No, we we weren't. Yes. Well, we were, and then we we weren't, and now we we are. So I do this. I for the first twenty four episodes of doing this, I've been doing this thing where when a script session gets to a certain point where it's so behind that I'm constantly stressed out about it and just need to bang through the script in 25-minute sessions, I I skip the podcast or, you know, have been. And, you know, you uh, out there listening, we've talked about it. And I've just been like, sometimes that's going to happen. But um, we received a... First of all, the previous podcast is going to... Uh, break a thousand views on YouTube. It's pretty funny that. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and I get why we talked about Whedon. It's just this, Whedon. Yeah, this podcast is not specific to uh, the Whedon verse at all. It's more about you and I and personal processes and growth and stuff like that. Um, and if you go to YouTube, can show you the listening graph, so mm-hmm. where people drop off or where they sign in. Uh, and I knew this was going to happen. I, I, we put the uh, the Whedon conversation as the third to last, or the second to last uh, part of the podcast. So the podcast is like, and then there's a huge jump where people, which is fine, right? Like we're yeah. going to chat about video games or whatever. It's totally, it's like, totally what I expect. Yeah, jump around. You uh, do what you want. Mm. But anyway, um, we received a number of very nice messages. Uh, about that podcast and then today uh rosie on twitter sent me a message saying it's the middle of the night here and i've had a shit day but i'm listening to your podcast and it made me feel not alone so thank you pal and once i read that i was like okay it might be midnight here which it is but we're gonna do a podcast so our idea is is there some shortened, less complex version of this that we can do on weeks where, you know, the podcast takes me usually about a day and a half to produce yeah. and edit together and all of that. And so this is that version. 
Yeah, so I guess consider it like a podcast light or a quickie or something. Um, or a... <laughs> Don't look at me like, like that, Ian. <laughs> quickie, eh? Yeah, well, let's tur- turn off the uh, o- o- OBS. Turn off the lights, happens, yeah. Huh? <laughs> I'm sure pe- uh, people wonder about us as, as it is, which is fine. Let them wonder. I'm already in the red light office. Um... <laughs> So the thought today was we would just do one segment, and I had the idea for a segment uh, beforehand. So yes, um, if you guys listening uh, like this, you prefer a shortened podcast to no podcast, maybe we'll do this. I'm going to do two chapters of the fanfic, uh, which I will record tomorrow as I edit and post this. Um, But the idea for the conversation i thought we might have is um there's a thing circling around uh that i've seen called one perfect scene um i haven't watched a lot of them but they're um video essays that are dedicated rather than to an entire uh video or rather dedicating the entire the video to the entire movie it's dedicated to one specific scene in the movie and you and i part of our conversational currency is we have scenes that, you know, we're both emotional guys. Yeah. And uh, we have scenes whenever we talk about... It. I mean, Buffy is loaded with... <gasps> yeah. Yeah. You know, all you need is a when couple... I, when I say I love you, it's not because I want you, or because I can't have you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it has nothing to do with me. <laughs> it's because I, I love, love what you are. are. Yes. Yeah. Um... And you and I, like, we're constantly sharing favorite scenes with each other and stuff that hits us and whatnot, yeah. Why can't I stay? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean... mean, Yeah, you had to say that, didn't you? By the way, two of my uh, close friends are going through the series for the first time, and they they just hit those two episodes in Angel Season 5. And do you know what camp they're in? This is... Mm -hmm. This shocks the hell out of me. Yeah. They're in the they don't like Angel season five camp. They prefer the earlier couple seasons. No one likes a, a very very rarely does someone prefer season four above all. <laughs> but I have every once in a while I've heard of people who say, Yeah, I don't like season five. I don't like the finale. I don't it like I don't they didn't like the puppet episode. <laughs> I can understand the finale can be very jarring. It even jarred. I get the first. finale, like, yes, but dislike. I'm just like, wait, that's it? Yeah. But but, but what happened? Um, but then after you think about it, and yeah, like it, it it's kind of perfect. It's kind of um, perfect. But yeah. disliking season five. Yeah, that's very odd because I feel like season five of, of Angel is better than some seasons of Buffy. I think. I agree. I think it's better than season four of Buffy. Um, yeah, I would agree. Um, um, better than season one and season seven too. But he was complaining about how much of a downer um, season six was, and so I felt compelled to tell him. Well, Angel season five has some <laughs> tough moments, but stick with it. I think it's a it's a great season. But yeah, they're not they're not enjoying. It. And I have heard of people say that they don't like season five. It's such a departure. If you love the noir stuff, if you love Cordy. If you yeah. love, uh, you know, there are enough factors that add up where uh, uh, some people end up not digging that season. I find it's rare, but it yeah. happens. 
and I can, I guess I can understand some people not liking um, smile time because it's a little, a little odd, but I <laughs> kind of love how they follow that up with hole in the world. That's like, it's cruel <laughs> and freaking awful, but that's why I love it. Yeah. He, his, I, I, I can't remember his exact text, but it was something to the effect of, and they did this after the goddamn puppet episode. <laughs> <laughs> by the design i was totally. like uh yes this is my design um <clears throat> all right fred my fred Sorry, so Clark. uh <laughs> yes let us know in the comments if you enjoy uh the shortened podcast the one perfect scene that we picked today since i surprised jack at midnight my time saying let's do the podcast was uh valerie's letter which we both have um now <clears throat> I've started thinking about the uh, the the reading list, the Patreon list on YouTube, and I think that I need to take a hard look at some of those that potentially are copyright problems. Right. Um, I don't mind doing the reading requests that any reading requests that people do, but the ones that I post to the channel, to me, they need to be in the public domain or uh, justifiable as parody. Um, Banana Phone is justifiable as parody um, by a lot, but say Neil Breen. Less so. Yeah, I thought I thought uh, all the batches turned out. But anyway, um, a friend of mine asked me to record uh, something for her, and um, that would be Valerie's letter from V for Vendetta. So V for Vendetta is a fun movie i think it's a very fun movie um very entertaining and uh, all of that but in the middle of the movie there is a a scene uh where natalie portman reads a letter that was written on toilet paper and it is a scene that i would say i mean when, when we talk about these perfect scenes whether it's in a book or a movie or whatever to me um one of the thing one of the effects that those often have is that i learned something and um uh in this scene this scene framed things in a certain way that i learned something now i did a reading of this and um because of the way the movie is edited i thought uh sharing the reading would just be a little more straightforward than cutting up and editing the movie and trying to explain the sounds that you're hearing in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to go ahead and play that. And Jack and I are going to listen to that right now, too. Uh, this is Valerie's Letter by Alan Moore. I know there's no way I can convince you that this is not one of their tricks, but I don't care. I am me. My name is Valerie. I don't think I'll live much longer, and I wanted to tell someone about my life. This is the only autobiography that I will ever write in God. I'm writing it on toilet paper. I was born in Nottingham in 1985. 
I don't remember much of those early years, but I do remember the rain. My grandmother owned a farm in Tottlebrook, and she used to tell me that God was in the rain. I passed my 11-plus and went to girls' grammar. It was at school that I met my first girlfriend. Her name was Sarah. It was her wrists. They were beautiful. I thought we would love each other forever. I remember our teacher telling us that it was an adolescent phase that people outgrew. Sarah did. I didn't. In 2002, I fell in love with a girl named Christina. That year, I came out to my parents. I couldn't have done it without Chris holding my hand. My father wouldn't look at me. He told me to go and never come back. My mother said nothing. But I'd only told them the truth. Was that so selfish? Our integrity sells for so little, but it is all we really have. It is the very last inch of us, but within that inch we are free. I'd always known what I wanted to do with my life, and in 2015 I starred in my first film, The Salt Flats. It was the most important role of my life, not because of my career, but because that was how I met Ruth. The first time we kissed, I knew I never wanted to kiss any other lips but hers again. We moved to a small flat in London together. She grew Scarlet Carsons for me in our window box, and our place smelled of roses. Those were the best years of my life. But America's war grew worse and worse and eventually came to London. After that, there were no roses anymore, not for anyone. I remember how the meaning of words began to change, how unfamiliar words like collateral and rendition became frightening, while things like Norse fire and the Articles of Allegiance became powerful. I remember how different became dangerous. I still don't understand it, why they hate us so much. They took Ruth while she was out buying food. I've never cried so hard in my life. It wasn't long before they came for me. It seems strange that my life should end in such a terrible place. But for three years I had roses and apologized to no one. And I shall die here. Every inch of me shall perish. Every inch but one. An inch. It is small and it is fragile. And it is the only thing in the world worth having. We must never lose it or give it away. We must never let them take it from us. I hope that whoever you are, you escape this place. I hope that the world turns and that things get better. But what I hope most of all is that you understand what I mean when I tell you that even though I do not know you, and even though I may never meet you, laugh with you, cry with you, or kiss you, I love you with all my heart. I love you.
Valerie. Uh, so that's Valerie's letter. Specifically, that is Valerie's letter from um, the the version that Alan Moore wrote in the comic book is slightly different than that one. Okay. Um, and when I was picking between the two of them, I just went with that one. So initial impressions. Have you seen V for Vendetta? Not for a very long, long uh, time. I remember liking it, but I, yeah, I just know it's... Uh, you know the Guy Fawkes mask and revolution, and yeah, all, all, all those kind kinds of themes. But I barely rem- remember it. On, on, unfortunately, I probably should have watched it. First, the, but oh well. well, I mean, I again, I sprung this on you. And again, the idea of one perfect scene to me is different mm-hmm. than the movie. Oh, What's sure. interesting about that scene is, while it kind of relates, the movie has other problems and um, is not specifically... I believe the Wachowskis actually wrote the screenplay for V for Vendetta, and it was directed by oh. their cinematographer for The Matrix. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. So it's an, inter- it's an interesting etymology. But um, what I was kind of left with with that was... Um, the idea of dignity, mm-hmm. right? So we, you and I had a conversation, not, not dignity specifically, but about the, the an inch that's the only thing in the world worth having, the only thing that cannot be taken away. We had a conversation, I believe it was the first podcast you did, so two times ago, where we talked okay. about your our reactions to fear, mm-hmm. right? And our reactions to the the conversation I remember that we got into was COVID and mm-hmm. uh, you suffering a bit of a panic over right. that, right? Yeah. And what we got into was like the idea of if you're going to go, if there is no choice in the matter, then the thing that you get to choose is how yeah. or rather like do you want your how, how you deal with it i guess yeah yeah um uh i feel like that was when we turned a corner in that conversation when you and i oh, were talking yeah. right yeah so like we have no control over a virus uh other than precautions but you know in that that particular circumstances we were talking about you thought you had it yeah, and eventually yeah. we got into a uh, sort of a calm space where I could start talking about like, well, if you do, man, like, you like, you don't want to be like, go out yeah. terrified. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. The last thing I want to like, I don't want my last moments on on this earth to be that of fear and terror and all, and all those things. If I gotta go, I gotta go. Um, but it's scary because you know there's like a, absolutely it's like an it's like an enemy you can't see right like it's it's yeah yeah but that to me is the essence of Valerie's letter right okay the idea of um, uh, the oh you were you sorry you I blanked on the text for just a second which you sent me. Uh, smartly, and I was like, "Why? I, you know, I don't need the text. I have uh, this memorized." It was wrists; they were beautiful. Uh, 
Our integrity sells for so little, but it is all we really have. It is the very last inch of us, but within that inch, we are free. Um, the the I've quoted in the the YouTube channel from time to time. Um, Man's search for meaning, which is and I, his name is escaping me right now because we're recording and I did no notes for this podcast in advance. But um, he talks about the idea of um, he was a um, survivor of Auschwitz, if I remember correctly. And he talks about the how the very last thing that that he has the the very last thing um, that can't be t- the only thing that you cannot take away from me is my ability to choose uh, how I react to the things that you do to me, mm-hmm. and whether that's the virus or whether that's loneliness or whether that's um, any of those things, it's like. It's um, very um, ex- existentialist, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. The idea of choice in any situation. He doesn't have a yeah. good choice, but he has a choice uh, yep. in that particular scenario. And um, Valerie in the prison, having unspeakable things done to her, I think was my first exposure to that notion of... Now, here's the thing. If you're bristling at the idea then I 100% get it and agree with you. Because I think that if you are, we're not actually talking about the same thing. Okay. I, I'm not telling you that... I, and by you, I mean the royal you. I'm not saying yeah. that that your feelings can be controlled or should be ignored or stuffed oh, yeah, or any not, of those things. It's not things. about that. Yeah, we specifically talked about that. It's not about not feeling the feelings it's about choosing what to to do with them yeah um acknowledging them and then you know the yeah what's next next? uh uh, um whether you feel despair or loneliness or whatever um acknowledging the feelings doesn't mean letting them run you but it also doesn't mean trying to pretend that they don't exist yeah, uh, what we're talking about is essentially mindfulness, right? Right. So, um, yeah. yeah uh, uh, you know, my I probably my closest. I've not had any near death experiences uh, the way you have, but I probably the my closest experience to it is the the is despair and loneliness is sort of just when those emotions overcome or when they turn into anxiety because we resist them and try and prove them wrong and whatever then that friction between resist i should i shouldn't i i have this wonderful life i have this job why am i depressed i shouldn't be depressed well that'll get you someplace i shouldn't be depressed yeah um (laughs) and just um for those listening um ian said uh like one one to say um uh, uh uh near death uh close uh encounters with death or something like that just then um um, oh yeah. My my COVID freakout was not that. Um, we're talking about other experiences. It's, yeah, you talked you talked about a little it a little bit the last time or the time before, just times on the table and 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 so forth. And I've I've yeah. not and you talked about it during that experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I've just not had to go through that. But what I'm talking about in in terms of like choice in the moment is is acknowledging. Oh, I'm lonely. Okay. Now what? 
you know, as opposed to engaging that emotion as why am I lonely, which leads to what's wrong with me, which leads to is there something (laughs) I need to fix about me? You know, and maybe there is, but maybe those things are, I mean, I'm not saying that's the reason to do it, but I'm saying like maybe I am not taking care of myself and maybe that means I don't feel like I'm... uh, worth being loved because I haven't been taking care of myself or whatever, whatever anyone's particular pathology is. But the route to discovering those things to me is not uh, engaging one way or another. You know, it's sort of a choice. It's like, okay, if I want to have a relationship, what, you know, am I in a good place? Do you know what I mean? So the whole idea that I'm kind of far afield, but in that that particular scene, first of all, I think it's beautifully written, and um, oh, yeah. I think that um, the idea of integrity to me also encapsulates that idea of of choice. I mean, of the the power of even under the worst circumstances, the 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 freedom to choose how we suffer. You know. Um, which she does in that sequence um, and still reaches out with empathy and compassion and uh, with love to a person that she's never met before and never will laugh with or cry with or. Yeah, that's what I get from, from it too, especially with uh, the ending. Um, She's, she's certainly resigned to her fate, um, accepted it, but, um, but there's still this sort of, uh, hope and 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 a kind kind of a resolve that come comes along with it you know um and it's it's you know whether like just not kind of um wallowing in her own pain and self self-pity she chooses them the moment to leave the message for someone who might find themselves in the same position that that uh, she, she is and that that's a huge amount of strength i think um, yeah, her last it's quite beautiful. Her last um expression that she had power over control over was an expression of love. Yeah. You know, sort of reaching out for uh the next person. You know, um and if it, it you know, I feel like I explained sort of my approach to uh emotional crisis poorly right. uh right there. Um, okay. And if I did, and and uh, to anyone listening, I apologize. But um, it is about mindfulness and being present to me, and sort of neither being run by pathology or my own emotions or any of that, but making a choice in the moment. Those things exist; they're all there; they're all present. But um, the choice is who takes the wheel uh, in yeah. in the moment. You know what I mean when I say that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you you don't have to um, you don't have to run with the emotion. You can you you can acknowledge it and feel it and go, okay, that's cool. Now I'm gonna uh, choose to, to do something else. Yeah, anger again. Anger is a more clear example. Sort of anger at at this is an extremely stupid example, and I'm doing it on purpose. Uh, Harley. I used to love keeping plants and I would come out in the morning and find Harley asleep in one of the plants that she had been eating all night that she had knocked down from a high place. And I would get so 
angry. Right. I want, you know, the plant, stupid cat. Ah, and eventually I realized it was like, she's the brain the size of a walnut, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Um, now it was my anger necessarily justified or whatever. who cares? Like the, mm -hmm. the, the point of it is, I just felt like the expression of that emotion on a tiny animal whose life was in my hands, uh, yeah. uh, or rather towards not on, uh, yeah. a tiny animal whose life was in my hands didn't make a lot of sense, you know, mm -hmm. and it's still frustrating and annoying that, that I couldn't keep plants or couldn't keep it away, away from plants, but yeah. Anyway, I feel like I made things worse with that explanation. <laughs> Hopefully, someone um, out there is, is knows what I'm trying to describe. And also, like most of the time, the emotion can be useful. It's when it gets to the extreme end that it becomes unhelpful. Like um, with uh, with um, anger, anger, an anger can get shit shit done. You know? Yeah. Um, yes. But then I'm when, too when guilty anger, of that. Yeah. Of not being angry enough. Anger, when anger escalates into rage, that's rage is just pure destruction, you know. So yeah, I think it's the, about. Is, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, it's just about. So it's about like using the the, the emotion to do whatever need needs to be done, but not letting it um, accelerate to the point where it's un unhelpful. Yeah, I, I think the main thing I'm stressing is not that one you should handle things one way or another or another. But that you have the freedom to do so. Yes. It, the 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 takeaway here is is not a should or a shouldn't, but freedom. You know, if if uh, yeah. if you are choosing rage in a particular moment because uh, you feel it's justified or warranted, more power to you because it's a choice. Sure. You yeah. know. Um, at least you've uh, made the uh, choice rather yeah. than letting it make the the choice. Yeah, better. and I mean by by saying choosing rage, no one chooses their emotions. But I'm saying choosing to use the rage to fuel the moment or the actions or what have you. Like, yeah. no one chooses yeah. grief, no one chooses sadness, yeah. no one chooses any of these things. But what you do with them after is sort of yeah. the conversation that we're having. And we're also like we're also not saying them it's easy because it's not. It's it's hard freaking work. Yeah, it's not easy at all. Um. Yeah, it takes practice and it takes a, a measure of um, self-control and even just like self-assessment, self like an introspective gaze and whatnot. Exactly. Um, so that's my perfect scene. I like it. Yeah. I like it. It's it's gorgeous, it's poetic, and it's, um, it's sad, but it leaves you with this feeling of like warmth and hope, I guess, which is odd hope, in a piece like that. Hope and darkness, uh, mm -hmm. which is the thing that I, I take away from that. The, you know, because despair and loneliness and sadness and all of mm -hmm. those things are sort of overwhelming. But, uh, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, if if you guys like this, we'll certainly uh, do it again. I've I've got a scene in mind. Um, I'll keep it on under wraps for now. Yeah, um, you, yeah. we can rotate. You next, do the next perfect scene. Yeah. Um, next time, you yeah, know, we have, have a lot on, on on our plates and can't can't do a full pop podcast. We'll um, we'll bust it in sound again. Eh? Well, the funny thing is, yeah, we're gonna be, we're actually gonna be close to the length the podcast was when I was doing it by myself. Uh, <laughs> Which is which, which, which is, which is fine. the short one now. <laughs> which is the short one now. Yeah. Uh, this week, I'm going to be finishing and recording the Fool for Love script. Finally made some good headway on that today. 
Um, also, we were watching Le Samurai. We didn't get to it last week. We did watch Booksmart. I liked it. It was interesting. It's a movie I think I've seen 50 times, but because the movie had two fabulous women in the leads playing best friends, it felt fresh and new. This is ordinarily a very male American Pie uh, kind of led story. Jack, what'd you think? And what are you up to this yeah, week? Yeah, um, it was a typical teen uh, comedy. Um, as as you said, we've seen it many, many times b- before. But um, this was directed by Olivia Wilde. In yes. Her di- directorial de- debut. And she really impressed me. Um, she took a, a vibe, a trope, a, a story that, that has been done many times, but just did it in the way that, that was fresh and felt new, even though it wasn't. Like, afterwards, I was like, I, I kept using the, like, when we were t- talking about it afterwards, I, I kept using the word different. Now I'm like, but wait, no, 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 it's not different. I didn't know how else to de- describe yeah. it because it was the same, but different. Yeah. Um, I, I really loved it. It was, it, it was charming and funny and just, yeah, I loved it. There was a version um, of uh, Hamlet uh, that the Denver or the Boulder uh, Shakespeare Company did recently where um, they had, um, the lead was a woman. Who played Hamlet uh, uh, for the play? And I think it's just interesting. It just—I uh, uh, don't know if that's the best way to approach um, issues of uh, representation. To just make mm-hmm. to have the same roles and to make them to gender swap. You've got the Ghostbusters problem yeah. then. Um, but. That's not what they did here. The this bit was specifically written about their problems, their issues, their yeah. goals in life, which were different than the characters in American Pie. Um, yeah, that's the thing. I'm I'm not sure if it was specifically about the uh, gender from film for me. Maybe it could have come off as same old, same old if they were uh, guys. I I don't know, but I I wasn't watching it the whole whole time thinking thinking oh these these are women these these are women I was just watching a fun yeah a fun hilarious uh, story you know? the other the other thing that I I loved was um you know I'm a little older I'm not old I'm a little older I, you know I'm forty hey, I'm catching up buddy I'm catching up and a lot of um you know like conversation cultural conversations about pronouns and sexuality and fluidity and stuff like that are very new to me. I, I definitely occasionally have the, the what now? With the, you know, it, it, I, I struggle to keep up. I do my best, but I'm, I'm not always, I'm not always there, but I am trying. Uh, uh, sure. But what was interesting in the movie was, um, the two leads having a conversation about... I wish I had their names in front, but we did no notes for this podcast. Um, Loretta from Justified was in the the episode, and uh, Loretta has a crush on a... I think uh, we say a girl named Ryan. Yes, yes, a girl named Ryan. Yes. Um, But Ryan skews... See, I'm screwing it up already. But the point, the point Ryan, of the whole Ryan uh, hooks up with the dude who who the other girl is in interested well, in. Well, no, but Ryan is fluid, I guess. And so there's this whole conversation in the the movie uh, where the girls are trying to figure things out, and even they were right. like, 
No, because it's the, you know you 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 feel male doesn't mean that you automatically look for female, right. you know, mm-hmm. uh, in a in a sexual partner or anything like that. Yeah. But it was the thing that I I found kind of uh, refreshing was them arguing and needing to do the work of figuring out the the terms and where each other falls yeah. in it, you know. And that's the thing is like if you're new to the conversation or playing catch up or you're a very we say cis white guy uh uh you know that's the whole thing is just or rather that was my takeaway from the movie was just like yeah but you do the work right yeah and i also like that um those um those kinds of issues that were dealt with in the film they weren't they, they were just done in such a casual way. Yeah, they weren't um, the focus of the film. Yeah, they yeah, were yeah. just they weren't the part. It wasn't as if like um, we we were being like I don't know I I don't I don't, I don't know spoon fed is the, the 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 right word no but it didn't seem like there was this message being shoved in our faces no. which is like yeah yeah it, it 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 was done in a way that just felt um. Yeah, yeah, just casual and normal, and I loved that. Yeah, it was just the tapestry of these kids' lives. It wasn't uh, a message movie by any stretch of the imagination, which would have been fine if it were. It just it wasn't that. And I actually enjoy... We watched a movie with Melissa McCarthy a couple of weeks ago where she played a... uh, Can you ever forgive me? Yeah, can you ever... It was wonderful. She played a, um, a lesbian document thief. Which I didn't know was a thing until we watched the movie. Well, no, she was a forger, or she 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 would make fake letters of fam- famous writers and sell them to, to collectors and whatnot. Yeah, uh, based on a, re- a a true story. Yeah, like real life person. And it was it was terrific. But the focus of the movie had very little or nothing to. No, it had nothing. To, it was about the document thievery. It was yeah. had nothing to do with the fact that she was gay or um, had LGBT. Yeah friends or anything yeah. like that but uh, yeah. but i mean like i think that's more normalizing than yeah, just yeah, yeah. a story that's, that's, that's specifically sort of yeah. dedicated to that you know what i yeah. mean um and um to be clear i don't mean that mess um movies shouldn't give messages like that of course. i'm totally down with that that's totally yeah. fine i'm just saying that this was done in such a way that was just casual and it felt normal and just yeah just like a like you said, a part of these people's lives. Yeah, um, which was great. I mean, I, I handled I, very well. I think we need a spectrum uh, yeah. for uh, representation, including stories that are about that and about not yeah, about that, certainly. but that's a part of yeah. this person and their life. Yeah, because those those kind kinds of stories are still very important, especially in today's uh, sure. time. Like things things are getting get, getting better, but there's still a lot of resistance taking to taking place, and those kinds of uh, constructs need, need to be di- dismantled and a good way of doing that is through media and whatnot um yeah yeah so please don't misinterpret what when they send it all as uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, me being against those ki- kinds of films because i'm not <laughs> yeah yeah no i think i was the one that said it but what uh what else are you up to this week uh well um we just uh fi- finished a whole bunch of uh pay- patreon bonuses um they have been uploaded up to the uh channel mm-hmm. um I've still got one or two more from from this round to get done. Uh, we've reached out to 
our patrons for the next round. Yeah, I think uh, we've ten dollar tier. Sent out about twenty five messages so far. There's uh, yeah. ten people left that I need to contact. If you haven't heard from me yet, I'm sorry. We're working on it. Yeah. Um, so if you would like a reading, check your inbox, and um, yeah, um, we're pretty much down down for anything. What two to three minutes around that that mark? Um, yep. Yeah, um, we've made exceptions here and there, but um, it's really kind of a case by case thing. Yeah, um, so that's my main focus. Um, I've started the very early stages of uh, my own special little project. Um, Sweet. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll keep that on under wraps for now. Um, I don't know when it's going to come out, but I'm working on it, and we'll see. I'm really excited for, for it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the fanfic reading, I just want to let you know that I am at Ian Nitrum on Twitter and youtube.com slash passion of the nerd. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at lack of surprise one. That's uh, all one word with the number one at the end. Or you can find me on the Discord server. Um, I'm Jack Sprattington over there. And as always, you can also join our passionate nerds Facebook group. Uh, we've got a nice little community there and whatnot. So yeah, come, uh, come and say hi. And I've been bad about linking those in the uh, show notes, but <laughs> I will try. Uh, if you'd like to support the podcast and keep us flush in tears and tissues, <laughs> uh, you can do so at patreon.com slash passion of the nerd. With the $5 and up club, you can join Jack and I in the hangout in two weeks where we'll be talking about uh, to Shanshu in L.A., and then two weeks after that, we're doing Restless. And then we start season five and two. Restless is going to be a long discussion, I think. And, I, and I'm and i down. I'm totally it, down. I mean, the video is third. I don't know how long the video is. It's long. But, uh, yeah. It's like 40, 35, 40 minutes or something. Yeah. But it, there's so much symbolism and dream stuff in that one. I'll be curious to see... Um, if it is a long conversation, I don't know. Right, yeah. Um, um, you can also support us by grab, grabbing yourself some merch, if that's your uh, thing. You can do that over at uh, passionofthenerd.com forward slash store. Uh, there's shirts, hoodies, mugs, phone cases. And we've also got a couple of uh, commentary tracks up on there. We've got the uh, Buffy film and When Harry Met Sally, I believe. Yes, and one thing I should get done soon is our passengers commentary that I still haven't finished. Um, And if your name is on Prime member, you may not realize this, but you can support us for free by using your monthly Amazon Prime Twitch subscription at twitch.tv slash thepassionofthenerd. And I have the past two days actually been streaming. I've been doing VR. I've been working out um using beat saber and so i thought well what the hell i'll stream uh the workouts which is weird but um people want to show up and hang out and chat with me between songs uh by all means um all right let's go to the fanfic reading today is here is gone terry boda chapter 25 and 26 here is gone terry boda chapter 25 Spike was well into his third bottle of scotch when Buffy came flouncing through his crypt door the following night. He was lying on top of the stone sarcophagus, swigging liquor directly from the bottle and allowing the languor of drunkenness to dull the pain he was suffering. Never mind the damn soul, the whole business of knowing what was going to happen and being powerless to do anything about it was enough to drive him to drink. 
The soul only added that extra knife twist into his gut, just to make sure he was feeling the pain. Spike! Buffy called, heading towards his prone body. Hmm? He cut her off, placing two fingers on his forehead. Hold on, I feel a vision coming to me. Don't tell me little sis has run off again. She opened and closed her mouth and put her hands on her hips angrily. Yes. How did you know that? He dropped his hand to his side and giggled nervously. I've got the sight. Oh, Drew, now I finally know how you felt all those years. Listen, the stars are singing. Buffy snorted, seeing the empty bottles strewn on the floor. Are you drunk? She accused. He laughed again. <laughs> he drawled with a lopsided smile. Then his face grew serious. Doesn't help much, but it just makes everything so damn funny. You're pathetic, Spike. You're useless to me, drunk. He gave her a hard look. I'm useless to you, no matter how I am. I fail to see how a little liquor will make any difference. She snorted and gave him an angry glare. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I tell you a nasty truth that you didn't want to hear? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Did I tell you a nasty truth that you didn't want to hear? He sneered, sitting up. What are you going to do, Slayer? Break my nose? Buffy looked away and stepped back, pursing her lips. She shook her head slightly. I won't hit you again, she said softly, then added with a sharp glare. Not when you don't deserve it. He gave her a smirk. Give me yourself an out, eh, Slayer? Just let me know when you want to play Kick the Spike again. I'm sure I'll be, be able to book a one-way trip to Borneo on that day. He stood up, rolling his shoulders and reaching for his coat. Well, let's rally the troops, find the niblet. And hey, maybe even uh, get my head bashed in by a hell god. Might get rid of this bloody headache. She gave him an odd look, watching him as he put on the coat. When she kept staring at him, he glared at her impatiently. Well, come on, he said bitterly and stalked out, not bothering to see if she was behind him. Moving purposefully through the cemetery, he heard Buffy fall into step beside him, but he didn't look at her. In truth, he was feeling rather guilty for snapping at her, but there was only so much a man or a vampire could take. Useless to her the way I am. Useless to everyone, more like it. No good for anything. All I do is bugger things up. He kept ahead of her until they reached the magic box, where he held the door for her just out of habit. She gave him a look as she passed him and entered the store, but didn't say anything. He followed, straightening up as he entered and putting on his bravado in preparation for facing the Scoobies. Giles, however, took one look at him and frowned, seeing right through his facade. I brought the bleached wonder, Buffy announced offhandedly. He he deigned to pull himself out of his bottle long enough to help us find Dawn. Spike raised his eyes to meet Giles and the two men locked gazes. Could I see you in the training room, please, Spike? Giles asked tightly. He gave a quick nod and followed the watcher. If you'll excuse us, Giles apologized, closing the training room door behind. You've been drinking heavily. It was a statement. Not a question. Spike flopped down on the old sofa, legs and arms spread eagle. Told you, watcher. Drink's the only thing keeping me sane. We need you sober, Giles hissed. A what? Think I'm caging in your, on your rep as the Scooby's drunkard, lest you forget, Rupert, you were drinking yourself into oblivion all last year. 
Then with me not all that long ago, he shot back. Giles didn't have a quick answer, but he did shake his head and glare disapprovingly at the vampire. That may be so, but in a crisis I understand the importance of having a clear head. Why? Spike retorted. Doesn't help any. Doesn't make it better. I still got all these memories in my head and I can't do anything about it. That isn't true. You are doing everything you can to use your knowledge to help us. Fat lot of good it's doing. I haven't changed a thing. You won't listen to me. Half the time you think I'm lying. Clock's ticking. Dawn knows that she's the key. Glory's going to start getting creative with us. The bloody-armored medieval rejects are poking around, and Ben is still alive. Giles shook his head. I told you, we only kill Ben if there's no other choice. And I'm telling you, often him solves all of our problems. He is an innocent. Bollocks. Dawn's more of an innocent. At least she didn't know what she was until last night, and if you lot had told her about it, like I told you, she wouldn't have gone scampering off in the middle of the night to find out by herself and gone all slash and burn on us. And how do you propose we should have told her? Giles snapped back. Anything was better than having her find out the way she did. And if you hadn't been whispering and acting all weird around her, she would have never known something was up. Bloody it, it can't keep a secret if your sorry lives depended on it. And you, of course, are a stellar example of deference and stoicism, the man snapped. Oi, it took a truth spell to drag it out of me, if you recall. Not even the slayer getting creative with my body parts made me spill. Took you and your Nancy boy spell to make me tell. Yes, and to my regret, that is true. So tell me, Watcher, how my knowing all this stuff and my being here is doing a whit of good. Giles sighed. You've been able to affect some change, Spike. So I saved the bloody bloomin' onion. Bully for me. I haven't been able to make any big changes. I've been able to make sure that Buffy doesn't have to die to save her sister. We don't know that. Altering history's a tricky business. There are a great deal of things that must be considered. Spike shook his head as his anger fizzled and the guilt he carried with him as a constant companion fell down on him. No. I figured it out, you see. It's all my fault. How do you mean? He looked up at Giles, sorrowful and broken. Everything. Everything's all, it's all my fault. If I hadn't taken Dawn to the dock, then he wouldn't have known she was the key. If I hadn't gotten that wanker Warren to make me a Buffy bot, Glory wouldn't have gotten a hold of me. But you didn't betray Buffy and Dawn to Glory, even under torture, Giles broke in. I know I didn't. Was still there, wasn't I? Still made her get up close and personal with the hell bitch. Still failed to stop Glory from taking Dawn in the first place. Still let the dock knock me off the bloody tower and cut Dawn. If I wasn't here, none of that would have happened, he yelled. He stopped, pulling himself back together when he felt as if everything was just coming apart at the seams. Drew's coming back, he said suddenly. Giles looked up from cleaning his glasses. What? Drew, she's coming back in a week or so, coming in on a train. Thought I might go with her, bug her out of here. Might be best for everyone involved. So you'll just run away then, Giles responded with forced levity. Spike's head shot up and he snarled, not running away, watcher. Didn't you just hear me tell you that it, it's all my fault? And I can think of a dozen different examples of how your presence has helped us, Giles snapped back, losing patience. 
However, if you would rather wallow in self-pity and drink, then by all means do so. If you would rather slink off with your ex-paramour and abandon us, then go ahead. I will continue to use the knowledge you have given me in the fight against glory, and do what I can to alter history without your help. At this point, I don't really care what you do, because you are useless to me as you are. And if you can't pull yourself together long enough to function properly, then maybe it is best that you do leave. With that, Giles walked out, leaving Spike still sitting on the couch. The vampire squeezed his eyes shut and pushed his palms against his temple, willing back tears. Biting his lip, he struggled to compose himself and decided on a course of action. He was so wrapped up in his own pain that he didn't hear or see Tara enter the training room until he felt her gentle touch. Snapping his head up, startled, he stared at her with moist eyes. "'Can I help?' she asked gently, her eyes soft and compassionate, and he knew her offer was genuine. "'Sweet Linda,' he thought, looking at her. Pretty soon Glory would brain-suck her, turning into a babbling lunatic, and he frowned. She was the only one who had ever showed him any kindness, who had ever touched him with gentleness. Even when he was at his worst, she had still looked at him with compassion and patience.' She didn't deserve what Glory would do to her, or any of what would happen after. And he was in a position to stop it. The realization was a balm to his bleeding wounds, and a look of infinite tenderness came to his face. She'd given him a reason to keep fighting. All of the invective and anger and indignation hadn't touched him the way this girl's simple touch and offer of support had done. He reached up and stroked her hair with one hand, smiling with gratitude, when she didn't flinch away from his cool skin. Then he slowly rose to his feet, shouldering his burdens once again, and leaned over to kiss her gently on the temple. No, Glinda, but thank you. He gave her a final fond glance and composed himself, squaring his shoulders and walking towards the open training room door. He passed Giles on the way out. Tara watched the vampire leave, her mind and heart in turmoil. She waited as Giles approached her with questions on his face. He must have seen her come in and wanted to see what was happening. "'He's in so much pain, Mr. Giles,' she said softly, her eyes still focused on the open door. Giles sighed and nodded. "'He carries a heavy burden.' Tara looked at him, gathering courage to voice what she had suspected all along. It's his soul, isn't it? The shocked and guilty look on the man's face gave him away. How? I can see it. It's in his aura. I just didn't say anything because it wasn't my place to give away his secrets. Yes, well, it's okay. If you don't want to tell me about it, I understand. I'm just glad he has someone else to help him. I'm sure it's very hard for him, and it's always easier if you're not alone. She gave Giles a tender smile and followed the path Spike had taken out of the training room, leaving Giles a little more stunned and chagrined. No, not alone, the man sighed, and walked to join the rest of the group in organizing a search for Dawn. He tried to make eye contact with Spike, but the vampire refused to look at him. Spike had wrapped himself up in his duster, a leather shield, and withdrawn into himself. 
There would be no reconciliation with him tonight. Giles hoped they would come to terms with each other again sometime within the next few days. But for now, there were more pressing matters. Excuse me, Jasmine T. <coughs> Chapter 26 Following Buffy and her search for Dawn, Spike tried to remain calm. He knew that Dawn would end up at the hospital with Glory, and he wanted to get there as soon as possible, but Buffy had her mission. They entered the park and passed the playground equipment. Dawn? Dawn! Buffy called. Yeah, that should do it, he groused, annoyed. Shut up, she snapped. The niblet scampered off to get away from you. She hears you bellowing. She'll pack it in the opposite direction. Can't say I blame her, he responded. Buffy sagged, defeated, and stopped to look at him. You were right. We should have told her. He stood there awkwardly, hating to see her in pain and helpless to do anything about it. She probably would have skipped off anyway, even if she never found out. She's just a blob of energy. She has a 14-year-old... She's also a 14-year-old hormone bomb. Which one's screwing her up more right now? Spin the bloody wheel. He paused, eyeing the night. You'll find her, just in the nick of time. That's what you hero types do. At her uncertain expression, he added sincerely, You'll find her. And then what? Then you bring her home. Joyce will ground her until she's 21, and you won't have to worry about her skipping out anymore, he offered. At the mention of her mother, Buffy smiled slightly. Only if we cut down that tree, get rid of the trellis and padlock, and padlock her door. Spike shrugged. Suppose we could build a stone tower into your house and put her in it, but I think that'd give it away just a bit. Buffy laughed softly, glad for the reprieve. Just a bit. He gave her a smile and looked around. How's Joyce doing, anyway? Better. Worried about Dawn, but we all are. Thanks for asking, she answered sincerely. Like your mom. She's a good woman. Doc put her on blood thinners, he asked suddenly. There was a pause, then Buffy answered slowly. Yes. He nodded, distracted. It's good. Why? Huh? Why what? he replied, pausing to look at her. Why is it important that my mom be on blood thinners? she responded, fixing him with a knowing, expectant stare. Caught off guard, he tried to backpedal, his mind working on a glib lie that would gloss over his concern with a plausible explanation. Buffy stepped up to him, cutting him off as he began to stammer his answer. No, she said firmly. Don't you dare make something up. If it's one thing I have learned... It's that you don't do anything without a reason. What's wrong with Mom? He worked his mouth a few times and looked away from her steady stare. I... Do you smell something wrong? She asked suddenly, and his head shot up to look at her wide-eyed. Under his stunned look, she explained, Giles told me. You knew about Mom's illness because you smelled it on her. Do you smell something wrong now? The lie that wasn't really a lie at all was handed to him on a silver platter, wrapped up in a big red bow. Sighing, faking defeat, he hung his head and nodded. Yeah, I smell old blood. 
Could just be the incision healing, but it's been a while. Could be a hematoma, a big blood clot. I know what a hematoma is, Spike. He nodded, keeping his head down so she would think she had him. It's probably nothing, but I figured it couldn't hurt for her to be on blood thinners, just in case. Thank you, Spike, she said softly, making him look up in surprise. His, his look made her squirm, and she had to look away. I'm sorry, she said suddenly. He had to shake his head because he wasn't certain he'd heard her correctly, and it could have been the alcohol that he'd imbibed that had him hearing things. Pardon? I said, I'm sorry, she repeated more plainly. I'm sorry I beat you up. I'm sorry I didn't listen to you when you kept telling me to take Mom for a CAT scan. I'm sorry you felt you couldn't tell me that something was wrong. Spike hung his head again, unable to process her apology. You wouldn't believe me anyway if I had. You're right. I wouldn't have. And I'm sorry for that, too. They fell into uncomfortable silence, each not knowing what to say, until finally he looked at her and nodded. Thanks. Let's go find the niblet. He took a few steps, then smiled to himself at his own stroke of genius and made a show of sniffing the air. The action caught Buffy's attention immediately, and she was at his side in a heartbeat. What? What is it? I smell Dawn. She'd been here, and recently, too. Can you tell me which way she went? She asked excitedly. He sniffed and nodded. Yeah, she's this way. Thankful that Slayers also had vampire speed when needed, he pretended to follow Dawn's scent directly to the hospital. Buffy ran past him as they approached the building. You don't think she... Buffy breathed, hurrying into the ER room. Her absence, while she checked to see if Dawn had been brought into the ER, gave Spike enough time to catch Dawn's real scent trail. He sniffed it out, walking slowly around the exterior. He knew that they had found Dawn on the third floor before, but there was no telling where she would be when she first ran into Glory, or how she entered the building. She hasn't been she hasn't been brought in, Buffy told him, relief in her voice, as she rejoined him outside. He shook his head. No, I suppose not. Looks like she walked in on her own two feet. You can still smell her, Buffy asked, amazed. He nodded, focusing in on the set of closed doors that led to an interior corridor. Yeah. Even with all these hospital smells, once a vamp gets sent and starts tracking, very little can knock him off the trail. It's this way. He moved forward, Buffy following close on his heels as he made his way through the unlocked doors and down the corridor. It was night so the hospital staff was on graveyard shift. No one saw them come in as they moved across the hall and into a stairway. You sure she's come this way? Buffy asked. Yeah, not long either. Sent strong. Spike, the mental ward with all of Glory's loonies is up this way. He paused at the stairs and looked at her. You don't think. Crazy people can see what she is. There was no answer to that, and they hurried up the stairs. Entering the mental ward, they found Dawn staring at the foot of one of the mental patient's beds. "'You know what I am, don't you? You all know. Tell me!' she was demanding of the man in the bed. "'Can't hear it. Can't hear it. Can't hear it,' the man babbled. "'What am I? Donnie!' Buffy cried, running over to her. No, Dawn argued, shrugging off Buffy's attempts to grab her. What am I? The key, 
yelled another mental patient. Dawn whirled around to face this new voice, and Spike recognized the man as one of the Knights of Byzantium at the same time Buffy recognized him too. Knights of Hackenslash, she breathed as Dawn hurried over. I found it, the insane knight said, squeezing his eyes shut. Thank you. Thank you. Dawn edged in close to his bed. You know what the key is? Where did I come from? Who made me? What am I? Please. Dawny, Buffy tried. I want to know. Dawn yelled back angrily, but jerked away as the knight lunged for her, his restraints barely stopping him. Destroyer! Cracked earth and bones! The sun bleeding into the sky! He cried. No, Dawn choked, stepping back, crushed. Spike specked up to her, flanked by Buffy. Dawn, he whispered, trying to get her attention. The key is the link. The link must be severed. The rest of the mental patients went into fits, terrifying Dawn. She covered her mouth with her hands and turned to flee just as Ben entered the mental ward. What the? What are you doing here? The intern asked, surprised. Spike moved forward immediately, placing himself next to Dawn, and Buffy ran interference. Dawn, she was trying to understand how my mom could go crazy with the, you know, brain tumor, so she ran here. Buffy tried to explain, explain hastily. Oh, Ben answered, looking past them to the agitated patients. The knight was still lunging for Dawn, pulling at his manacles. So, um, we were just going. Come on, Donnie. Buffy said, grabbing her sister and dragging her struggling out of the war. Ward. The key! The key! Bring back the key! They heard the knight's cry as the door banged shut. No! No, I want to know! Dawn argued, trying to pull out of Buffy's slayer grip. Dawn! Buffy hissed, dragging her into the stairwell. Spike guarded the door and gave Buffy a nod at her askance glance. Benny stayed to calm down the loonies, he said. Dawn, those crazies know you're the key, Buffy scolded. I know! They can tell me what I am, Dawn replied, squirming, tears running down her te cheeks. What they can tell is Glory's minions, that you're the key so she can come snatch you, Spike growled. But I have to know. Dawny, Dawny, what you are is my sister. Dawn shook her head. I'm not. I'm not anything. You are. You are flesh and blood. And we love you. No, no, I'm not. I'm not real. I'm not. I'm not. The teen began to wail, growing hysterical. Spike stepped forward and slapped her, stunning her out of her hysteria and making her yowl from the chip shot. You're real, bit, he snarled, one of the fists to his temple. Real enough to give me a migraine. And that means you're human, Buffy affirmed. But, Dawn stuttered, Buffy. She broke down collapsing against her sister in a sobbing heap. Buffy wrapped her arms around her and held her close, rocking her as she cried. Spike stood close by, knowing that he didn't have the right to join them, but desperately wanting to. He waited, fists and te teeth clenched, until Dawn settled and they pulled apart. Dawn, we need to get out of here, Buffy said softly. Dawn nodded through her sniffles and Buffy helped her to her feet. They began making their way down the stairs, but Dawn tripped from exhaustion and emotional stress. Buffy moved to catch her, but Spike was faster, hoisting Dawn into his arms as if she weighed nothing at all. I've got her, Slayer, he said, his voice thick with emotion. Buffy gave him a look and seemed to come to a decision. She gave him a short nod and watched from the corner of her eye as they walked down the stairs. They didn't speak again 
until they were out of the hospital. You want to go alert the troops while I... You want to go alert the troops while I take her home, Spike asked, still cradling Dawn. The teen had her head resting against his leather-clad shoulder, her eyes blank and staring. Buffy looked at the darkened Sunnydale streets and frowned. I told the gang to check in the, at the magic box. I'll run there and leave a message, then join you. Surprised and secretly pleased that she was trusting him with Dawn, he nodded. Right then, see you back at your place. She gave him a final pensive look before heading off for the magic box. He waited a moment, watching her leave, before settling off, setting off for Ravello Drive. He walked quickly, purposefully, taking the shortest route possible. Dawn's fingers curled themselves into the lapels of his duster as he carried her, silent but strong, homewards. Joyce was waiting at the door when he stepped up at, to the porch. Somewhere along the way, Dawn had fallen asleep, and he was grateful Joyce was there to open the door so he wouldn't jostle her awake, struggling with the knob. Buffy called me from the magic box. She's on her way, Joyce whispered at his silent question. He nodded, crossing the threshold and following her up the stairs to Dawn's bedroom. He gently laid her down as Joyce held back the covers and stood protectively by as Joyce removed Dawn's sneakers and covered her with the blankets. They both looked at the exhausted girl on the bed, whose face was still pained even in sleep. What monsters would do this to an innocent child, Joyce wondered aloud. Didn't they think before doing this to her, making her sentient, turning her into a human girl? Brown Roby types rarely look at the big picture, Joyce. All they saw was a way to protect the key from glory by giving it to the Slayer. I doubt they considered the consequences of making the key human. Joyce shook her head sadly, and messing with our minds, our memories... It's like a type of rape. He grimaced, his soul constricting at the sound of the word. I don't know, Joyce. Just a vampire here. I don't have any answers for you. What I do know is that we can't make the niblet feel less than human. We have to convince her that we love her just the same. Whether she's been with us fourteen years or four months, he replied. You love her, don't you? Joyce asked, Joyce asked suddenly. He started and stared at her. Then he put on airs and shrugged. What's not to love? I mean, she's a great kid, even if she is a blob of energy. I didn't mean Dawn. I meant Buffy. You love Buffy. He squirmed under her piercing glance and tried to weasel out. A soulless demon here, Joyce. We can't love. A soulless demon who visits a sick woman in the hospital and brings her chocolate who shows concern and protects her daughters, who laughs with her and watches soap operas and cares about her health and well-being. That doesn't sound like a being that is incapable of love. He looked away, unable to meet her eyes. Doesn't matter, he said finally, emotion overwhelming him. Joyce cocked her head and looked at him with a look only astute mothers could own. Doesn't it? He sighed, closing his eyes. No, it doesn't. A year ago I told Angel that if he loved Buffy he should leave and let her have a normal life. I, I don't know. I, I didn't realize that Buffy would never have a normal life. That she would never have the life I envisioned for her. Joyce admitted softly, 
her voice tinged with a sadness that could not be fathomed. The sadness of knowing that she would probably bury her daughter before her child's 25th birthday. I want her to have a normal life, Spike, but slayers don't live normal lives. They live short, desperate lives full of violence and darkness, and happiness is fleeting as sand between your fingers. He watched her move around the room, smoothing Dawn's covering and brushing the girl's hair from her face. I thought Riley was the perfect boy for Buffy. He was military and fought the same darkness Buffy thought. But the darkness consumed him, and he betrayed Buffy in a terrible way, she continued, walking from Don's room and coming to stand in the hallway. He followed, interested in hearing what she had to say. I remember you from four years ago, when you first attacked my daughter at high school. I remember when you allied yourself with her to fight against Angel, when he took my daughter's virtue and turned evil. I remember when you returned the following year, heartbroken that Drusilla had left you. I remember the, truffy, the trouble Buffy had with you her first year of college and your struggle with the chip that army operation put into your brain. I also remember how you helped Buffy this last year, how you helped me and looked after Dawn, how you have protected and aided both of my daughters. I've seen you change and become someone no one thought you could be. And I have seen you struggle with it anyway, without help or encouragement. She moved close to him, her eyes sad and resigned. I know you are a soulless being, but you have more soul than some humans I know. You are loyal and faithful and strong, and you accept my daughter for all that she is, not just the parts of her that are attractive or pleasing to you. I, I don't approve, but... I do understand, and I have come to terms with the reality that my daughter is a slayer, and that means she won't be with me for very long. If she can find happiness with someone who loves her so fiercely that it would change his very nature for her, I can't find any fault in that. He stared at her, unable to hold back the tears that welled in his eyes and her soft words and tacit acceptance. Thanks, Mum, he managed, and allowed himself to dream of what it would be like to be accepted by Buffy and loved by her. He dreamed of long nights slaying and loving, followed by quiet days watching soaps with Joyce, helping Dawn with her housework and her homework, and feeling part of a family again, of belonging somewhere. But it was a dream, and he knew it, and he let it slip away, fading behind his eyes like a fond memory. However, your eldest doesn't love me, and she never will. And that's how it should be. Vampires and slayers, they weren't meant to be together. But I will love her until I'm dust, and I will protect her and yours with every last ounce of strength I have inside me. I give you my word, Joyce Summers, as the English gentleman I once was, I will never hurt your daughter, he promised, looking her directly in the eye. I believe you, William. I believe you.
Believe what? Buffy's voice came from the doorway, making them both jump. Spike stared at her, horrified that she might have heard their conversation, and he didn't know what to say. Luckily, Buffy's mother was as glib as her daughter and easily came to the rescue. Spike was assuring me that Dawn hadn't put herself in undue danger tonight by going to the hospital. He swore to me that he didn't hear or smell any of that glory woman's minions around when you were there or when he was bringing her home. Buffy looked at him and he tried to see what she was thinking, but her face was closed and her eyes unreadable. That's good. That's really good. So did you leave a message for the others? Joyce asked. I ran into Willow and Tara on my way from the magic box. They promised to tell the rest of the gang. Is is Dawn okay? Yes, her mother assured. She's asleep. Spike brought her home safely. Buffy graced him with a measured look. I knew he would. He couldn't hold her gaze and dropped his eyes. I'd best be off. It's late and I've got some telly to catch up on. He said, suddenly feeling the need to run, and run very far. Joyce laid a gentle hand on his arm and gave him a fond look. Good night, Spike. Thank you. Night, Joyce. Night, Buffy. He mumbled, making his hasty exit. It was too much, and he couldn't take it. He had to get out of there before he lost it completely and started bawling like a ponce. He didn't see Buffy staring thoughtfully after him as he hurried out. Jack. Ian. Hello. Hi. I mean, we did it. Good we did bu- another yes, one. we did it. And with <laughs> few to no notes. Yeah. Good thing we, we didn't off the cuff. talk uh, about topics we don't know about, like LGBTQ issues and... <laughs> Yeah, managing fear, <laughs> despair, and sadness, and yeah, depression in the midst those, of a pandemic. Those are great things to, to talk about <laughs> when you're unprepared, right? <laughs> uh, everyone's very kind. If yeah, yeah we appreciate it. Um, yeah. Next week will be more of a full episode. Uh, yes, I'm thinking, um, yeah. and uh, we hope to see you then. Until then, have a great week, everybody. Hey, take care, friends, and see you next time. And hey, Ian, yes. one last thing. Just re- remember, if you're lost, you can look, <laughs> and you will find me. Time after time. Time after time. Th- thanks, friends. Bye.